Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And we're excited today because we're going to be starting a series on the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, or the MBTI. Now, this is a fun and interesting thing because it can really help you to understand yourself or your partner better or your children better. And a part of it is really good because it can help you to depathologize or take something that you feel bad about yourself and understand that it's not necessarily something wrong with you, that it's just more about who you are and how you experience and how you walk through the world. So today we're just going to do a flyover view of the entire MBTI instrument. And then in the episodes following, we're going to break it down into each portion of the instrument. Also, what we'll do is we'll provide a link for you guys to a free MBTI inventory that you can take. And what we'd love is that if you guys would join us on your Facebook account and then let us know what your results were. The one that we use, the results show up in percentages in each area. So you can just screenshot that whole thing and then post that to the Facebook group. Now, a little bit of a word of warning when you're taking this test is make sure that when you're taking it, you're taking it who you are in regular social settings, who you are in your regular everyday life, not who you are at work. A great example of this is myself. So when I'm seeing clients, I come across as very extroverted and outgoing and talkative but that's not how I normally operate when I'm in my everyday life. I operate much more reserved and much quieter comparatively to how I am in the workplace. The reason why you're answering this question is based on who you are in your personal life versus who you are at work is that work can kind of force you to have to behave certain ways in order to get a job done. But what you're really trying to figure out is who are you at the core of who you are, not who are you when work has certain demands of you that can cause you to act outside of your normal behavior. Or when you have a role to fill. And another thing is make sure that you're answering it based on who you are, not who you want to be or wish you were. Because again, I just said test earlier. It's not testing you on anything really. The better term is I used even earlier than that is inventory. It's just trying to help you to understand who you are better. There's no rights or wrongs. It's just who are you? Now, Myers-Briggs is broken down into four different parts. Each part has its own inverse meaning that each section has two letters and you're either going to be one or the other of the two letters. And then that is a aspect or part of what your personality is overall. So in each of those sections, having the two possible preferences, it results in a total of 16 different possible personality types. So if you wanted to see all 16 personality types laid out, it's typically called the type table, the MBTI type table. So when we look at these 16 different types, You need to know that all types are really equal. There's no type that is the best. The goal of knowing about your personality type is really to help understand and appreciate the differences between people. Because when you look at the two different preferences in each group, Tim and I are exactly opposite. And instead of one being better than the other, it really helps us to see the differences that we have. And it kind of helps us to round out our marriage, the parts that I am not so great in. Tim is really strong in. I think the important thing about this is how you view it. You can view somebody who's different from you as bad, or you can view it as they have strengths in areas where I have weaknesses, and I have strengths in areas that they have weaknesses. Now, a lot of times in marriage, those differences can cause us to grate on one another if you don't have an appropriate and healthy view of it or an understanding of this is just who my partner is. 
So part of when you learn this, you may get some validation where you're like, oh yeah, that's totally me. I like that. And that just feels right. And for you, of course, it is going to feel right because that's who you are. But then understanding that somebody else who may have scored differently on the personality scale, they feel just as right about their personality aspects as you do about yours, even if they may be opposing or opposite to yours. But then understanding again that your personality differences, if you view them correctly, can be strengths that are used to assist one another as opposed to ways to tear each other down by looking at them as wrong or bad for being different. Right, and the MBTI indicates a person's preference, but doesn't show their ability or their character or who they are. So it helps you understand in a sense, but like Tim said, it's not wrong, it's just different. So Tim is an ISTJ and I'm an ENFP, so we'll read just a short blip on each of those. There are lots of things out there that gives you a lot more information, but this is a quick paragraph that kind of sums up each of the personality types. So for me, I test very closely on sensing or intuition. And so between both of those, I really can relate to big portions. But I'll read the ENFP for today. It says, warmly enthusiastic and imaginative, see life as full of possibilities, make connections between events and information very quickly, and confidently proceed based on the patterns they see. They want a lot of affirmations from others and readily give appreciation and support. They're spontaneous and flexible, and they often rely on their ability to improvise and their verbal fluency. And I think for you, Ruth, one of the things that really stands out for me is that section where we're able to make connections between events and information very quickly. I think that's describing your good in crisis. And I think whenever there's a crisis situation that pops up, that you're more the go-to person than I am. I need to stop and think and assess. But in a crisis, there's no time to stop and assess. And so for me, that's one that really stands out where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally you right there. Now, my letters are ISTJ, or Introverted Sensing, Thinking, and Judging. So ISTJs tend to be quiet, serious. They earn their success by thoroughness and dependability. They are practical, matter-of-fact, realistic, and responsible. They decide logically what should be done and work towards it steadily, regardless of distractions. They take pleasure in making everything orderly and organized, their work, their home, or their life. They value traditions and loyalty. And I think this is definitely you. (laughs) And it makes me laugh because it's so opposite of what I am. When it says, you decide logically what should be done and you work toward it steadily, regardless of distractions. I admire that greatly. (laughs) I wish that was something that I could do. But this really is something that he is so great at. And he very much is practical, just matter of fact, realistic, and responsible. And so I think this does a good job of describing you. It's not everything about us, but it's a general flyover of who we are. And so when you take the inventory, there are so many resources out there where you can learn specifically more about that type. And I would encourage you, yes, learn more about yourself and also learn more about the people around you, whether it's your spouse or your children or your parents or your friends, because it really will help you to appreciate the differences. And there may be insights where you're like, oh, that totally makes sense. Now I understand why he does this. So the first section we're going to talk about here is going to be introversion versus extroversion. And how we like to describe that is basically where do you get your energy from? So people who are extroverted can act introverted and people who are introverted can act extroverted. But where is it really that you charge your batteries from? 
So for me, as an introvert, a place I charge my batteries is through solitude, through being on my own, through having time to myself to kind of relax. But an extrovert, however, they get their energy from being out and around other people, whether it's people they know or people they don't know, they gain energy from that. And for an introvert, they deplete their energy from being around people. Even if it's close friends and family that they know well, it still uses up their battery. Versus for an extrovert, if they're at home in solitude, they will drain their battery that way, and then they need to get out and be around other people in order to be recharged. It's actually very interesting because Ruth and I are opposite on this when we go to a party together. She is getting energized up as she's there, and I'm getting drained as I'm there. <laughs> and even sometimes, like if we've been there long enough, Ruth will almost start having this glow start to come off of her because she's getting so charged while I get dingier and darker as the day goes on. <laughs> so when someone has a preference for extroversion, they have a natural inclination to kind of converse and to network with people. They're the people who want to brainstorm and talk out loud about things. Whereas if you have a preference toward introversion, you have a natural tendency to think and work alone, and that's how you work best. I think a good work analog for that would be salespeople would have a tendency to be more extroverted versus somebody who's an engineer or a computer programmer is much more likely to be introverted. They're working on their own, solving problems on their own, versus a salesperson is networking, talking with people, engaging with them. Not to say that you can't be an extrovert and be a computer programmer or engineer, or that you can't be an introvert and be a salesperson, but they are kind of opposed to your personality type. And it may be very difficult for you to do that if it's counter to what your personality type is. So remember, today is just a quick flyover of each preference. So we're going to move on to the next one, which is S or N. It stands for sensing or intuition. And this really is how do you take in information? Do you prefer to focus on the basic information, kind of the five senses? Or do you prefer to interpret and add meaning to things and kind of have that sixth sense? And so people who are sensing, they kind of have a mastery of facts. They can look at things and see the information right there. That's how they take it in. Whereas people with intuition, they're able to see beyond that. And they add kind of this insight and attention to meanings. So a good way to look at it is somebody who is sensing, they're just reading the sentence. But somebody who is intuitive, they are reading between the lines. That sensing person is just looking at what they really can observe versus that intuition person is trying to derive more or a different meaning from what they are observing. So a person who is sensing, they have an appreciation of knowing and doing what works. This is what it is. I know it works. Let's stick with it. Whereas someone with intuition, they have appreciation of doing what hasn't been tried before. I think that's a very interesting difference between us that stands out to me in those two things is that I am old reliable. I like to do the <laughs> things that I have done. When I go to a restaurant, if even the first time I've ever been there and I order something and I like it, the probability I'm going to order something new is very small. Versus I think for you, right, you like to test new things. You like to have different experiences. So even if you went and you found something, you're like, oh, I love that. You still would be likely to try something different. Oh, for sure. And when we go to restaurants, I like to ask the server, what are some of their favorites and what are some of their best sellers? And I love to hear different suggestions and different ideas so that I can try new things. Versus for me, I'm very pragmatic and I want to get to the bottom of the line. And so when I think about asking a server, that seems so foreign to me because I'm like, they may have different taste buds for me. So why would I bother asking them? They may give me bad information because they're saying what they like. 
Versus for me, the bottom line is I know kind of what I like and I'm going to order something that I know I'm likely to enjoy as opposed to, oh man, I spent this money and I bought this thing and I hate it. Right. And I think part of it too goes along with that introversion, extroversion, whereas I want to interact with the server and I want to get to know them and what their thoughts are. We moved to a new area and I want to try all the different things that are around here. Whereas Tim knows, okay, we went to this Mexican place and we love it. Let's stick with that. Whereas I told him, oh, there's two other Mexican places that I want to try and I want to see how they compare. And so it's just very funny, the differences in our preferences. And it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And I think too, right, a part of, for you, liking trying different things is you enjoy taking risks. And I don't enjoy taking <laughs> risks. And so, of course, you'd be fine taking risks because you like the excitement. Ooh, will I like it? Will I not? Versus for me, I just more would feel the disappointment if I didn't like it. Yeah, totally. And I think even if I didn't like it, I would be happy because we tried something new. Versus I would look at it as I failed. I chose the <laughs> wrong thing. <laughs> so the next we're going to talk about is thinking versus feeling. And thinking versus feeling is after you have already received the information from your senses or from your intuition. Now this is the next phase is how do you then process and use that information? So thinking versus feeling, the thinker is going to have a tendency to look at and turn towards logic first versus the person who is a feeler is going to tend to turn towards empathy and other people's needs or feelings in order to make a decision. Now, again, this is not right or wrong, but more about what is higher on your priority scale. Right. So it's not all or nothing. It's not that thinkers don't consider other people in special circumstances. It's just that they first look at logic and consistency. And the same with feelers. It's not that they don't consider logic and consistency. It's that they first look at people and special circumstances when making decisions. So what are some things that thinkers bring to the table? They have an ability to analyze and solve problems, even when they have a personal stake. They kind of look at it from both sides and can see all around. Whereas feelers, they have the ability to build relationships and to be persuasive. And they have the knowledge of what is important to people and adhere to that in the face of opposition. So when they're making decisions, they can look around and kind of understand what is important to different people. They weigh that, they weigh the social circumstances, and then they make a decision based on that. And the last two preferences are judging or perceiving. And this is in the realm of structure. So when you're dealing with the outside world, do you prefer to get things decided and kind of have a set plan where you know what's going to happen? Or do you prefer to stay open to new information and options and you don't really want to commit to that set plan in case something else pops up? So judges have a tendency to like things to be decided versus perceivers like things to be open. So for me, it doesn't matter what it is, but I want the answer. I want to know this is what we're doing, whether it's this is where we're sitting at church or is this what we're doing afterwards? But flip-flopping or changing minds on things actually bothers me or can get under my skin. A great example of this, it was just such a small thing, but because we had already made a decision, it bothered me. One day, Ruth and I were at the office together. We were doing some work, and then she was going to go off to the store and do something, and then I was going to go home. And not even before I had gotten out of the parking lot, she had called me, and she said, Hey, Tim, can you go pick X up at this other store over here? And so I said, okay, but internally I was having this struggle because I had already had a structured idea of what I was going to do once I got home. And even though it was only taking me off of my schedule by five minutes, that decided schedule that we had that then changed, even though it was just moments later, was more difficult for me to swallow 
versus for you, changing in the schedule, you roll with the punches very well, and that doesn't bother you at all. Right, so the preference of judging, there's a lot of organization, planning, and they follow through on things. Whereas the preference for perceiving, like you said, they quickly and flexibly respond to the needs of the moment. And people with the preference for judging, they push to get things settled and decided and they want to know. Whereas perceiving, they strive to keep things open so you can make decisions based on new information. And that actually just happened today. Tim asked me, hey, are you going to go to this store too? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. So I just got in the car and I started going to the place that I knew I wanted to go, not really wanting to commit to whether or not I was going to go somewhere else. Whereas Tim, when he gets in the car, he wants to know, where are we going to go? And is that it? Are we going to go anywhere else? Not only where are we going to go, but how long are we going to be where we're going to (laughs) go? Right. So I think this presents differently in how you do shopping, right? So when we go to a store together, if I ever go to a store, I already have in mind what I'm buying, right? I know what I want and I will get it. Versus I think a lot of times when you go to a store, you have in mind what you want to get, but then you peruse and you find things along the way. Versus for me, it's like beeline. Oh, there it is. I got my one thing straight to the cash register. I'm out of here. (laughs) With the judging, there's an appreciation of well-organized efficiency, right? So I know what I'm going to get. We're going to go there. We're going to get it done. Whereas with the preference of perceiving, they have an appreciation of the need for spontaneity and exploration. And so you're right. When I go there, I do know what I need. But then I also explore and I wonder what else is out there for me. You're open to the possibilities. (laughs) But when we talk about this, it really is important to use it in a way that can be beneficial to understand the needs of the other person, to understand how they work and how they function. And so when you're looking at the Myers-Briggs, being able to figure out what are some things that could really bless the other person and make them feel loved and how can you meet their needs. And I think a really important thing to know about this is that these are things that are kind of inborn into you. And John Gottman, he's a famous psychology researcher. One of the things that he says is that 70% of couples' problems are unchangeable. And I think a lot of the problems that are unchangeable in relationships are the personality differences. So, for example, right, Ruth wants to be spontaneous. That's something that I'm not great at. If she gets mad at me all the time for not being spontaneous, that's an unchangeable problem. I can work at being more spontaneous, but my preference is always to want more predictability. Does that make us incompatible? Absolutely not. But I have this understanding that she needs that, and I want to try to give that to her as much as I am comfortable with. But she also has this understanding that he needs consistency and predictability, and he doesn't want to do things last minute. And so then we try to plan some things on the other hand. So part of this, when you're looking at it, especially if you're realizing you and your spouse are opposites, it does not mean you're incompatible. It does mean, however, that you have to take into consider needs that are not natural for you to think about and that work at supplementing your partner's needs, but then also being able to appropriately convey your needs to your partner. But these personality types are not a tool to bludgeon your partner with. I'm this way, so you need to let me be that way. That's not the idea. It's for understanding, and a part of it is working towards flexibility in order to meet your partner's needs. Again, going back to this idea, if you're introverted, you're never going to be extroverted. But if your partner's extroverted, you want to try to go out and do some extroverted things with them. But then if your partner is introverted and you are extroverted, you want to give them time to stay home or maybe make contingency plans in order for you to be able to stay out longer than them to leave so that they're not running out of social energy and being irritable. So when we're thinking about this again, remembering this is who I am or this is who my partner is, 
But that also doesn't mean that I can't be flexible on some things. Right. It doesn't mean you make the excuse of, this is just who I am. I can't change it. And that this really is on a spectrum. It's not everyone is the same amount extroverted. Everyone's the same amount introverted. A lot of times figuring out where on the spectrum they are can really help you understand them and understand how to meet their needs. And I think for Tim and I, being opposite on our preferences, it really does help us to be more balanced on the spectrum because we have to come more toward the middle to meet the other person's needs. And so stay tuned over the next several episodes. We're going to really break this down and go into each of the preferences and the personality types moving forward. But we'd love to hear what your personality type is. So come over into our Facebook group and join us over there. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.